Morning, everyone. I don't know if any of you uh, remember it, but at the RSL indoor swimming pool, back before they renovated it all, uh, they used to have all these motivational sayings taped all over the walls around the swimming pool. Um, sayings like, it's never too late to be who you could have been. Mm. Uh, there are no shortcuts to any place worth going. You will never plough a field if you only turn it over in your mind. Mm. And you see, I presume that uh, they had all these things all around the wall so that uh, I could look at them through water-logged goggles as I splutted up and down the pool, motivating me on to do one more lap, one more, one more bit of exercise. Didn't really help all that much, but there was one saying that always got my attention. There actually, there actually was one uh, quote on the wall that uh, I always did sort of think about. Maybe it was because it had a bit more substance than the rest. Maybe it was because this one was a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Uh, this was a saying that said, uh, maybe you've heard it, failure to prepare is preparation to fail. Failure to prepare is preparation to fail. That's not a bad one, I reckon. Uh, I reckon that one's worth remembering. Not the least reason being that that's a pretty good summary of the parable that we're having a look at this morning. A parable told by Jesus about five wise women, five foolish women, and a parable which points out that the reason why they're foolish or they're wise, the thing that separates the two groups, is whether or not they're prepared. Because, you see, failure to prepare turns out to be preparation to fail, well, at least for the foolish ones. Let's see how it works, and uh, to see uh, what it has to do with us, we need to firstly step back and consider the context of this parable. Because I hope you've noticed, as we've had a look at parables over the last few weeks, Jesus never tells them into a vacuum. There's always a specific circumstance that warrants Jesus telling this story. There's always a certain situation into which he tells them, and unless we think about what that situation is, we sometimes miss out on, on the subtle and not-so-subtle lessons of the parable. So firstly, the context, and to see this, we've got to go back a page to chapter 24 and verse 3. Back a page, chapter 24, verse 3. Here we are where Jesus and his disciples have been visiting the temple at Jerusalem, and as they walk away from the temple, as the temple sort of disappears behind them below the horizon... Uh, Jesus takes the opportunity to point out that the temple is also going to disappear into history. That there will be a day when not one stone of that temple will be left on another. Which in many ways is a culmination of the sort of things that Alan was teaching us last Sunday. That ever since Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, ever since he's hit town, he's been ripping into Israel for the way they have been rejecting God. The way they've been disregarding God. And here he's basically saying that because they've rejected God, God's going to reject them. And therefore, their precious temple that symbolises God's presence with them, it's going to be torn down. It's a fairly startling thing to say. And so in chapter 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? In other words, when will this destruction of the temple happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now that last phrase, the end of the age, that's a reference to the final judgment of God. That's a day promised in the Old Testament when God will come and judge all evil 
and he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. It's a day when God's kingdom will be established in full and his kingdom will be ruled over by his anointed king, the Christ. And I want you to notice in this question from the disciples how they've bundled all these events together with the destruction of the temple. Because in in the earlier verses, Jesus hasn't said anything about him coming back. He hasn't said anything about the end of the age. He's just mentioned that a day is coming when their temple is going to be trashed. But but that's such a dramatic event in the mind of the disciples that their thinking is, well, surely the only time God's temple is going to disappear, that's got to be the final day of judgment as well, hasn't it? The end of this present world, the end of the temple, surely that's going to be the same cataclysmic event. Jesus wants his disciples to know, however, that it won't be the same event at all. The physical destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus, the end of the ages, uh, that's actually going to be two different events. And that's basically what Jesus goes on to describe. For the rest of chapter 24, he he effectively talks about how, uh, how and when the temple will be destroyed. And then towards the end of that chapter and into chapter 25 as well, he starts to talk about the second half of their question. Not when the temple will be destroyed, but when he'll return. When will be the end of the ages? And that's where this parable of the ten virgins fits into things. Verse 1. At that time... In other words, at the, at the time of the coming of Jesus, as opposed to the destruction of the temple, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. Foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Friends, now, the content of this parable This parable is going to revolve around what is the usual wedding practices of of the time because it would seem that the custom of the day back then was that before the wedding, the bridegroom would frequently come in a great big procession to the bride's house. Uh, It's sort of a bit of a reversal of today. Uh, Nowadays, the the bridegroom stands around at the church building or or wherever and it's the bride who arrives in this procession of cars or, or whatever. Back then, it's the reverse. The groom is the one in the procession and he actually would pick up people along the way. Uh, These ten virgins, for example, they sound like they might be the bridesmaids waiting along the route of the groom's procession, waiting to join up with everyone else before they hit the bride's house. Uh, Quite possibly they're the very last ones to be picked up before the bride herself. The twist in the parable is that the groom, verse 5, is a long time in arriving. Please notice that. It is not that he's unexpected. It's not that he arrives suddenly. None of those things are emphasised in this parable. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds a bit weird that he gets there at midnight, but evidently custom of the time, that, that wasn't all that unusual. It's a bit trendy nowadays for the bride to be, you know, uh, uh, a little bit late. Back then, the groom would often be late. Here, the case in point, though, is he's very late. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Notice also uh, that it doesn't sort of matter that they go to sleep. The foolish ones, the wise ones, they all go to sleep. So what separates these two groups is not whether they go to sleep or not. What determines who is wise and foolish is that when the bridegroom does finally get there, the wise ones have planned ahead and had extra oil for their lamp. 
It's the wise ones who have been prepared for what was turned out to be a long wait. It was the wise ones who had pre-thought that this wait could go on all night. And so they've brought extra oil for their, for, their, um, for their lamps. They've got oil in jars to top it up things. Only they are therefore ready to go when the bridegroom arrives. Only they get to join in the procession. Only they get to go to the reception. The foolish ones, however, the unprepared ones who have run out of oil and have had to duck off to the shops to get some more, when they finally get to the reception late, verse 11... Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. And now here comes the conclusion. Here comes the punchline to the whole thing. Verse 13, therefore keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Starting to get a feel of what the parable is all about? Keep watch. Be like the wise virgins. Not in the sense of keep watch, don't fall asleep. Even they fell asleep. No, no. It's keep watch in the sense of being prepared for what might even turn out to be a long wait. Be like the wise virgins. Be organised. Be set up for what could be a long time. And do you see why that's such a helpful lesson in, in terms of the context of the parable? Because remember, here are the disciples thinking that Jesus is going to come back and the end of the ages will occur all at the same time as the temple gets destroyed. And through this parable, Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not going to be the same event at all. Yes, the temple will be destroyed. Yes, I am coming back, but they are two different events and it may be a very long time between the two. So keep watch. Be ready. Spend the time between the two preparing yourself and acting wisely. Spend the time between the two getting your life in order because you never know when the day or the hour might be. And surprise, surprise, you'll never guess what Jesus says. That's what happens. Who would have guessed? Because the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem well, and that has well and truly come and gone, hasn't it? 1,939 years ago, the temple was destroyed. But as for the end of the age, as for the coming of Jesus, well, we're still waiting for that one, which is the whole point of the parable, that it could possibly be a long time between the destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus and the end of the age. So be ready for that. Make sure you're using your time wisely in that gap. And so, hey, look, for you and I, it could well be that the force of this lesson is actually lessened it a little bit because there's already been a long time between the destruction, since the destruction of the temple, isn't there? I mean, compared to the disciples to whom Jesus originally told this parable, it has already been a long time. And so in terms of the t- parable, maybe, just maybe for us, it is almost midnight. Maybe for you and I, in terms of the parable, the bridegroom isn't very far away at all. He could arrive tonight, this afternoon. But he mightn't. It could still be a long time before he gets here. You may still uh, get to grow old before Jesus returns. But maybe not. We're living in that time between the destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus. And so this parable, it still raises the issue. 
that as we wait for the end of the age, as we wait for Jesus to return, how are you going at that? Are you prepared for it? Or are you unprepared? Are you being foolish? Or are you being wise in how you spend your time? Have you got your life organised for when Jesus arrives? It's amazing how... Uh, it's amazing the number of times our home printer runs out of ink late at night after all the shops are closed. It's amazing how that happens. Halfway through a document, the red light starts flashing, and that is it, no matter how much I plead with the machine, it will just not give me one more page, which is a real pain if I haven't planned ahead. If I haven't thought to have a spare ink cartridge sitting in the drawer, that's when I'm in trouble. Failure to prepare... Preparation to fail. Friends, when Jesus gets back, when it comes to the end of the ages, failure to prepare, that won't just be an inconvenience. That's not just going to be a nuisance. That will be your worst nightmare. And Jesus says, so keep watch. Be ready. Use the time between the destruction of the temple and my return. Use that time wisely to get your life together. Big question, of course, is how do you get your life together? How, how do we keep watch? How do, how do we get ready? I mean, I know how to get ready for the ink running out of the printer, but how do we prepare for meeting Jesus? What are the things you and I need to be organising beforehand? Uh, what are the consequences of this to uh, of all of this to us what should we be doing now in preparation and look i guess at this point there's maybe a heap of things we could be saying about how to be prepared to meet jesus jesus himself actually goes on in the rest of this chapter to tell two more stories exactly on the topic of how to prepare for when he gets back uh, just quickly firstly there's a parable of the talents which is all about servants being productive while their master is away. And again, it's stressed in the parable that he's away for a long time. It's a parable all about being productive and effective for Jesus, or else you'll be in trouble when he arrives. Because if there's one thing that Jesus seems to be really irritated by in the Bible, it is lukewarm followers of his who aren't growing in holiness and who aren't doing stuff for the kingdom of God. So if you are not spending your time now contributing to the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, there is no way you are going to be ready to meet Jesus. He follows it up with a story about a shepherd who's separating his sheep from goats. And this story turns on the fact that his sheep turn out to be with those who are looking after each other. And the lesson of this little story is that caring for other brothers and sisters in Christ, caring for the other people in this room. Jesus is very keen for us to be spending our time doing that and he'll be very unimpressed if he gets back and we have not been doing it. And so if you are not now spending your time looking out for the other brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, there is no way you are going to be ready to meet Jesus. And so, look, just from what he goes on to say in the rest of the chapter, uh, keeping watch for Jesus' return, uh, being prepared for his arrival, at the very least, is going to involve being productive for the kingdom of God and it's going to involve caring for other Christians. But I want to suggest that embedded at all of that, there is in fact a much deeper, a much more fundamental issue. 
there is in fact a much more basic consequence that flows out of, of this parable of the ten virgins. See, look with me back to verse 12 again. And I want you to notice something I haven't mentioned on the way through before. I want you to notice exactly why it is that the foolish virgins aren't allowed into the reception. Verse 12. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Now I want you to note, please, what the bridegroom does not say. He does not say... No, no, you can't come in because you weren't ready. He doesn't say, no, no, you can't come in because you didn't have enough oil in your lamps when I arrived. He does not say, no, no, you can't come in because you weren't prepared enough in advance. He says, I don't know you. Now, that's a subtle but a significant point in the parable. The foolish virgins are excluded because the groom doesn't recognize them. They are excluded because they and the bridegroom, they're not really all that close. They don't know each other, which is presumably why the virgins couldn't be bothered having their lamps ready, why they couldn't be bothered thinking and planning ahead. It's no real priority for them. Why go to a lot of trouble for someone you hardly know. And you see, it is precisely that lack of closeness that is the heart of the problem. It is precisely that lack of closeness that's reflected in just their slap, happy indifference of being ready. And so really the fundamental issue of getting ready to meet Jesus, the most crucial issue is... Does he even know you? How close are you with him? In a few weeks, Felicity's off to uni for the first time. And I tell you, we are up to our eyeballs in preparation. Uh, Organising travel, uh, organising a timetable, enrolling, getting clothes, study stuff together, painting things, making things, buying things. We are doing a lot of stuff to get ready. And we don't mind doing it. It's not in the sense that we sort of have to. We want to. Because we love her. And many of you know exactly what that sort of is like with with your own children. Is it like that with you and Jesus? How are you going at getting ready for his return? Are you being productive for the kingdom of heaven? Are you looking out for the others in this room? Because, friends, the real worry is that if you are not doing any of that stuff, if you're not doing much to get ready to meet Jesus, the real worry is what that is saying about how close you and he really are. One particular holiday Sue and I uh, went on, we stayed with a whole range of relatives and it was really interesting to see the difference to which, uh, of how we were received when we turned up at their place. Uh, one lot of relatives were really warm and uh, happy in their greeting. They, they'd gone to a lot of trouble to get ready for us. A room was specially made up for us. Uh, a special dinner was being cooked. They'd actually taken time off work to spend a couple of days with us just showing us around the sites. Another set of relatives, they were the complete opposite. 
They known we'd been coming for ages and yet when we got there it was just, you know, really awkward. They'd altered nothing. They'd prepared nothing. We were clearly just an inconvenience to them. We were clearly, uh, didn't matter much to them. So we took the hint and we moved on. When Jesus comes back, which of those two examples will you be like? When he gets here, will you have gone to a lot of trouble for him? Will you have actually altered anything in your life for him? Do you even care he's coming back? Or in all honesty, when he gets here, will it almost be an inconvenience to you? Friends, he's coming back. The end of the ages will come. It may still be a long time. It may not be, but it's coming. And God has told us that when it gets here, this present creation, it's going to disappear in a roar. And your house and your car and your career and your business and your sporting trophies and your furniture and your hobby equipment and your CD, it is all going to evaporate. And all that will be left will be how close you and Jesus are. So what do you reckon will happen? Will Jesus put his arm around you and say, good and faithful servant, I've been waiting so long for you to be here. Come on in. Share in my happiness. Or will he simply shake his head, look you up and down and say, I'm sorry, I don't think we've met before. I don't know you. Go away. Friends, they are not the words you want to have ringing in your ear for all eternity. Do you think it would be a good year to get to know Jesus a bit more closely? Do you think it would be a good year to make sure that he knows you? Mind you, you may not even have all year to do that. Therefore, keep watch. You don't know the day or the hour. I'll pray. Father, thank you that your son is coming back. Father, that day will be wonderful, but help us to be ready for it. Help us to make sure that we are doing all that we can to have our life in order so that Jesus will know us. Help us to be good and faithful and recognisable servants. Amen.